Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country, heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber. The complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. On this episode, our friend Jake Beckett. He is a former NFL player, former Army Ranger, uh, also was a Senate candidate in Arkansas, and now is the host of the Jake Beckett, uh, Beckett podcast, which I think you should all check out. Jake, thanks for making the time, man. Good to see you. Hey, great to be on with you. So, you know, I saw your uh, governor, uh, Governor Sanders, uh, Huckerbee Sanders, not long ago, and uh, we we talked a little bit about what's going on in your state because you would think that given that Arkansas is pretty darn red, that it'd be able to join in some of what we're seeing, obviously, out of Florida. I'm a little biased about the Florida thing these days, but, you know, Texas is doing some good things, a lot of states. Uh uh, Oklahoma, you should be Governor proud Stitt. of what's happening in Florida. You should be proud of that. Thank you. I, I am. I'm, I'm now I'm a new Floridian, so I'm excited about it. What, how are you guys doing in Arkansas? Like, like bring people into whether, you know, we've got this red state, blue state phenomenon playing out in a way that we've never seen before, right? People are fleeing, going to red. Blue is getting bluer. Red is getting redder. How's Arkansas looking? You're getting a lot of folks uh, showing up from Los Angeles who are like, hey, let's just do the lib thing here. I mean, I, I truly believe that we are in the midst of a a, a massive self-sorting uh, that's going to happen within this country. Uh, I, I think COVID only accelerated a trend that was happening for a couple of decades prior to 2020, 2021. But I, I think it's only going to continue and possibly accelerate as as things further unravel in in blue states and blue cities. Um, you know, even within red states. And, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up red states because, I mean, look, I'm I, I'm from Arkansas, born and raised. I, I live in Arkansas, ran for statewide office here in Arkansas. And unfortunately, you know, we are, uh, you know, a, a state that is, you know, like many other red states, particularly in the South, um, you know, we're led by these just establishment rhino squishy hacks. And, you know, that's probably the most charitable way to describe most of them. Um, you know, these are, are people who, um, you, a, a lot of the Republicans in these, in these deep red Southern states, you know, they were, they were longtime Democrats who, uh, just kind of like saw which way the wind was blowing and changed their party affiliation, or they're just people who are, you know, they, they saw what was happening in 2010, the Tea Party wave, um, you know, and they came in. And, and so we had this big changeover and, you know, unlike these battleground states, that have competitive primaries cycle in and cycle out, like Pennsylvania, like Arizona, like Florida. Florida is probably the best example. 
you know, where there's constant turnover and there's there's competitive primaries and the cream rises to the top. You know, we don't have that in these deep red states. You know, we have these incumbents, um, you know, who have been in office for four, five, six, seven terms in the state legislature, in in the House, in the U.S. Senate, um, and there, you know, it's almost impossible to win a primary. Uh, you know, on the GOP side these days, trust me, I can tell you all about that. So w- without this, w- without the, this purple kind of competitive primary situation, um, you know, the, the, the political establishment just has the opportunity to ossify, to, to stabilize. And there's, w- w- without the outside competitive influences, you know, that we just kind of drift along. And so unfortunately, with the influences of the media, um, these, these giant corporations, big tech, you know, the culture, um, you know, the deterioration of, of the church, you know, all, all these factors, um, you know, these, these squishy spineless rhinos, they're not able to combat that. And Wait, so, so, I mean, this is, this can, is crazy. Can we just for a second? So I don't, I don't, I've actually, I've actually never been to Arkansas, Jake. So maybe we're gonna have to, your Razorbacks, you know, my co-host loves the, uh, the big football games. Maybe we'll have to come down and check out the, I'm just impressed with myself that I remember that they're called the Razorbacks, right? That's the name of it. Oh, a- the absolutely. Yeah. yeah you, you got it. So, uh, because I'll see, for example, I have spent time out in Utah. Uh, great state. A lot of stuff about Utah that I totally love. The governor's like a communist. I mean, you know, for a very red state, you get the governor of Utah is really bad on a whole range of issues. Th- this is something that I, I feel like as we're seeing the sorting happening with people leaving blue, going to red, red getting redder, and also the role of state governance post-COVID, everyone realizes your state really does matter. I think there for a while we started to think, oh, it's the federal government, right? Your state, local, it's kind of man. Your state government matters a whole heck of a lot. How is it that some of the reddest states give us some of the worst leadership? I mean, is is it just that they have no fear of the Democrat side, so they get soft, lazy, and and uh, they start to dissemble? They they know they'll never lose a primary, and, and that really is the problem. Um, you, you don't have any open seats. I mean, Arkansas has had the same congressional delegation. The same four members of the House, the same two U.S. senators for ten years now. I mean, it's amazing. Like it's been a, it's been a whole decade, and we've had zero turnover in our six-member congressional delegation. But you are right. Like, like I, I think by and large, um, you know, the the problems. I mean, this is a pretty you know deeper discussion. We can have a you know a podcast series on this. But you know, I, I think what's happening at the federal level, that's going to be really tough to fix, to put it lightly. But where we actually have the opportunity to exercise power. Um, you know, where are where the, the, the base, the, the citizenry still actually believes what we believe and will grant Republicans you know, the actual ability to exercise our influence are in these red counties uh, and red states. And, and that's why it's so important for, you know, states like Florida. You know, now it's you know, it it was a purple state, you know, now due to, you know, Governor DeSantis's influence, it's become a red state, um, you know, in, in some of these other states, um, you know, it's it, it's getting better. You know, Governor DeSantis has really led the way. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, 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 I could go on forever about how important it's been to have him down in Florida leading the way and setting the example, because for so many years, I mean, for, for people on the right, we don't even know what winning looks like. We, we have no idea what excellence, what greatness, what victory even looks like. And, and so we didn't really have a barometer. So you know, we had Asa Hutchinson here in Arkansas, who was the governor for eight years. He was terrible. Um, you know, obviously the, the governor out in Utah, uh, you know, Kay Ivey, the governor of Alabama, she's terrible. Uh, Tate Reeves, Mississippi. I mean, they're, they're, all, they're all bad. But we didn't even know it 
until Ron DeSantis came in there and took a 50-50 red state and made it a 60-40 red state simply because of the force of his policies and his leadership. Okay, like he showed that, hey, we, we can have good things. Okay, like we can we can take on these woke corporations like Disney. You know, we can remove Soros DAs when they get out of line. We can take over higher education. You know, we can actually move the needle and show the rest of the country. And so like just as any in, in business and sports and, and whatever, competition is a good thing. And so Governor DeSantis has moved every other red state governor to the right on the issues simply because they've been humiliated by, you know, the national news and people in these red states like Arkansas looking like, hey, like Asa Hutchinson, why aren't you doing what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida? And so obviously, like, um, you know, people's disgust with Asa Hutchinson, you know, he was the guy who went on Tucker Carlson and was saying that, um, you know, Ronald Reagan and William F. Buckley would have agreed with, uh, you know, transgender mutilation surgeries uh, for children. Uh, Asa Hutchinson actually vetoed a bill in Arkansas that would have made that illegal. And so, and so we were fed up with him and we moved on to someone who's definitely better than him in Governor Sarah Sanders, and she's implementing some good policies. But it really, it started with Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. He has shown the way. And I, I, just, I can't emphasize enough how important that has been to show the people on the right in this country that winning is possible. I think technically we have to say he is presidential candidate Asa Hutchins, just to be clear. <laughs> just to be clear. I think if he breaks one percent of the national vote, um, you know, Jake, uh, I'll next time oh, you're, you're down. Me, I, I sincerely hope that he stays in the race through the Arkansas Super Tuesday primary in 2024. I'm genuinely curious to see what he will get in his own home state. There's no way he lasts that long. He'll probably drop out after Iowa after getting, you know, a fraction yeah. of 1%. But I mean, in Arkansas, he wouldn't even get 5% of, of the vote in his own home state. That's how reviled he is. I want to come back and talk to you a bit about, first of all, your, your story uh, as it pertains to your service in uh, the army Rangers and, and, and then talk a bit about Ukraine and some of what we've been hearing recently about, you know, us role there, maybe a little more substantial than, is officially talked about. I mean, I always assume that the role is, I've thought that all along, but you know, secret squirrel stuff, we all know it goes on, but we'll come back here in just a second. Uh, because you, you guys, you got to have life insurance. You know, I just got married a few months ago and it is absolutely critical um, because the right insurance plan gives you peace of mind. If something were to happen to you, you know, your family has that safety net to cover mortgage payments, college costs, other expenses you've been providing for. This is just a must do. You've got to have not just a policy, but a policy that has enough, or rather an additional policy, possibly. So Policy Genius is what you need to future-proof your family's finances when it comes to life insurance. Policy Genius will help you find and buy exactly the level of life insurance that makes sense for you. Their whole mission is to modernize the life insurance industry. Their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $25 per month for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius has licensed agents who can help you find exactly what fits your needs. They work for you, not the insurance companies. There's thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot for Policy Genius right now. Go check it out. Don't wait on this one. Get it done today. Go to policygenius.com. That's policygenius.com dot com and uh sign up today all right jake first off tell everybody what years what years were you in 
Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your, your military service before we talk about the national security side of things right now. When did you first get into the Army? So I joined the Army in the summer of 2017. Um, you know, I, I played four years of professional football for the New England Patriots, um, you know, won a Super Bowl with those guys single-handedly. You know, it wasn't Brady, it wasn't Belichick, it was all me. Um, you know, after I got done um, solidifying that dynasty, uh, I went to law school. Um, you know, my, my, my intention wasn't to practice law. Um, you know, I, I was really hurt after I left the NFL. So I went to law school to get healthy. And when I was in D.C. Uh, in law school, I just, I really, um, you know, my ultimate plan was to, was to serve in the military and I didn't want to be a JAG. And I was getting close to the age limit, so you know, I just I, I decided it was the best thing to do to to drop out of law school and join the army, and that's what I did. I went through basic training, officer candidate school, um, you know, went through the uh, infantry officers course, uh, went through ranger school. Um, Wait, I, 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 have, Iraq. I have questions. I have questions. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, was there a point at which you were um, you were in your let's say your first or second week of basic training or something. And you were a little bit, did you ever have a thought? You're like, maybe, uh, I don't know about this decision. <laughs> I'm just wondering, it's a big move to drop out of law school, right? To serve. I mean, I, I think it's a very honorable decision. It's great. But did you, did you know every day you were going through it, that this is what was for you? You know, I, I did. I mean, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it wasn't challenging. Um, you know, but I really, I, I fully committed, um, to, to making that decision. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were some moments, you know, you're, you know, I went from having a really great apartment in downtown Boston playing for the Patriots, um, you know, part of a Super Bowl championship team, uh, you know, to go into a great apartment in Washington, D.C., uh, you know, going to Georgetown, a great law school, uh, to, you know, being in a, in a sleeping bay of, you know, 65, uh, 18 to 24 year old yeah. basic trainees, um, you know, just kind of looking around at midnight, um, you know, man, like, you know, your social this, options guess, definitely decreased your service to the country increased dramatically. Congratulations. But your social options from being a NFL player in Boston to being in basic training, you know, not as many cheerleaders. But, but, you know, no, it, it, exactly. Um, you know, but I was, I was fully committed to making that sacrifice. And, and you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I realized that it wasn't going to be, it was going to be a temporary um, you know, temporarily a difficult situation to go through basic and, and go through OCS and, and ranger school. But, you know, I never lost sight of that goal, um, which was to, to get my ranger tab and, um, you know, lead a, a rifle platoon, um, which I, I was very blessed to have the ability to do. And, um, you know, what's I was, the hard, what's the hardest part of ranger school for you, for what, what did you find the most challenging part of it? It was the starvation. I mean, like truly like there's a, I lost about 40 pounds in ranger school. I went in, weighed about 240 pounds, got out weighing 200. I can show you some photos another time. I mean, I was like a stick figure coming out of there. My mom cried when she saw me uh, at ranger school graduation. I was so thin, but you know, coming from a football background, you know, I like to eat. Um, so that was, that was a huge challenge. Um, but sleep deprivation and food deprivation is a huge part of the school. Um, you know, you, you get pushed to your mental, physical, emotional, spiritual limits. Um, you know, but that's, that's how you forge great leaders, um, you know, over that 62 day course. And, um, you know, I was able to finish it in the, in the shortest amount of time, thank goodness, and, and get out of there and get to my platoon. So, yeah, I, I would say the, the sleep depth, you know, 45 minutes of sleep per night for like 10 straight nights is not, not ideal, uh, when it comes to, you know, rest recuperation and being in a prime mental state, but you know, that's just part of the deal. where do you end up deploying? Iraq. So my, my brigade combat team with the 101st Airborne, we were stationed in 
uh, northern Iraq, the the Kurdistan region. Oh, uh, I oh, uh, what were you like in Suli or something? I know, I know that area of the world pretty well. <laughs> we we I, were we, we were between Mosul and Erbil. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty on demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the armstrong and getty show to start listening oh um, mosul it, it, that place yeah, back it, in the day my time in mosul man that was a spicy location let me tell you but that was uh what, what, what when were you there if you don't mind uh, about a deck about a i mean and i was in the region i will say uh about okay. a decade okay. about a decade before you i mean and basically so before, the, uh, before before 2015 because obviously that was the capital of the caliphate um, you know, when, when ISIS had their, had their brief reign. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I would, well, I was there, um, again in the vicinity in, in the, uh, in, in without the vicinity. getting too specific. Yeah. Uh, I was there on the vicinity, uh, you know, doing my, uh, uh, analyst, uh, you know, dressed as like a guy on a camping trip thing. Um, right after, or, or pretty close to what happened was like, they, they kicked all the bad guys. I mean, not all of them, but they, they cleared out Fallujah Ramadi and that had been, this is like oh six oh seven period that you know those right. had been uh, Anbar province was just the worst right the heaviest fighting the Marines had to go in there house to house do all that stuff but a lot of then the suicide bomber rat lines and the bad stuff switched up north to Mosul coming in so that was yep so I remember I remember going and spending some time with some of the SF teams out there and trying to see what what uh, could be done to stop because these guys were going into marketplaces with you know suicide vests or actually car bombs all the time just you know blow up 30 50 80 people whatever it was uh it was really really awful stuff but so when you were there it's fascinating actually because I, when i was there it was horrible and then when you were there it was horrible it was like the main spot so what were you doing so it was a really interesting mission set um you know it was a combination of patrols you know we were doing some diplomatic stuff you know meeting with the uh, you know, provincial governor, um, you know, this Nineveh province. So the, the provincial governor, the Iraqi, you know, their, their version of a core level commander was stationed with us. Um, you know, so we were coordinating airstrikes. Um, you know, we, we had some guys going out on target. So, I mean, it was a, it was a really interesting kind of all encompassing mission set. It, it was great for a, for a young lieutenant to get out there and kind of see everything that was going down. Um, and this was, this was a couple of years after, you know, we had cleaned out ISIS um, you know, but there were obviously still, I mean, as you know, um, Mosul and Erbil, Kurdistan, it's kind of a confluence of a lot of different, uh, ethnicities. Um, you know, it was an old trading route, um, historically. So there is a, there's a, you know, a lot of a Sunni Shia conflict happening in that part of the, that, you know, that part of the, the Middle East. And, um, you know, obviously in, in the late 2010s, um, that was when Iran first really started to, uh, flex on that area, you know, the, ISIS was was Sunni, and so once ISIS got cleaned out, the Shia, you know, came in and decided they were in charge. Um, obviously, the, these Shia-backed or these uh, Iran-backed Shia militia groups, the SMGs, um, you know, were all over the place. So it was a really fascinating and and, and pretty intense mission set out there. But um, you know, like I said, it was a it was a good experience. It was a good deployment. Um, I deployed with some great people, uh, and not just Army. You know, we had some uh, you know we had some some Marsat guys, Marine Raiders. Uh, we had some Air Force JTACs with us. Um, you know, we had some 
some guys uh, from your with with your uh, training who were with us. Um, so it was a um, it, it was a really outstanding deployment. So what I wanted to ask you, I wanted to get that that background. It's so interesting too, by the way. I mean, I, I everyone that I talked to who deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan before you, it was it's always roughly my contemporaries, you know, either a few years before, a few years after being in that part of the world. But, you know, now, of course, we have people that we're dealing with, like you, dealing with the ISIS uh, situation uh, uh, up in up in Iraq, specifically. Obviously, Afghanistan kind of continued um, much, much longer. Um, if I, if I uh, got to ask you something, I'd be curious if someone told you that you could go and advise the Kurds just theoretically, if this kind of thing were happening, I don't know. If, but if I told you that you could go and advise the Kurds on the ground, I'm sorry, the uh, Ukrainians, <laughs> you already advised the Kurds, the Ukrainians on the ground to help them against the Russians. I, I really mean this honestly. Like, would you want any part of that fight? Would, would you say, you know what, I want to go and, and possibly, you know, take the risks of, we all know what can happen over there. How would you feel about that? I would advise the Ukrainians to make peace as quickly as possible on the best possible terms they could get, because I think that's, that is the best possible outcome for them right now. And that's, that's not the the narrative that you get from the mainstream media. Um, you know, obviously they, you know, a lot of these people, these war hawks and neocons and, and, you know, unfortunately it lives now, you know, they're, they're willing to fight, uh, to the last drop of blood of someone else, you know, like namely the Ukrainian people. Um, you know, and, and the allies who are, who are helping them in that fight. But, you know, I, I just think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not willing to uh, go over there or send someone that I love to go fight for the territorial sovereignty of the frontiers of Eastern Europe, uh, especially when there's ethnic conflict there that, you know, most people you know don't even have the beginnings of an understanding of. And, you know, especially when here in the United States, we don't have territorial sovereignty over our own country. You know, let's just let's just be very blunt. I mean, we we don't have a southern border. Um, you know, I, I talk to people who um, are with Border Patrol. There's actually kind of a, a developing story that's you know people who are plugged in or following. Uh, actually, our northern border is actually becoming more and more of an issue. Um, you know, these these you know these yeah, the groups, numbers are a lot smaller, but the percentage increase is substantial. A- absolutely, and and you know it, it makes sense because there's not as much media attention on our northern border now, and so you know in the in the age of globalization and, and transportation, people can get there. Yeah. I mean, I think um, that if, so you, it, if you can get to Mexico, your chance now, I've spent a, a fair amount of time at the border in a bunch of different locations, right along the border patrol, spending time with those guys and gals. Um, you know, I would, I would bet that, uh, uh, I mean, if you were telling me, never mind getting, I mean, getting myself into the country illegally, if I chose to do that across the Southern border, I'd give 10 to one odds that I'm able to get into the country, uh, you know, now that's not including the idea of, of like uh, surrendering, right? I mean, because that's what a lot of the family units and others have done. But if you're just right, saying straight shot into America, I think ten to one, I can. Because yeah. I, I know, I know the cartel games. I know what they do. So if you just replicate that, you'll be able to get in pretty easily. Put him at the northern border. I, you know, I feel like that's wide open. That's got to be super easy to get across. We have almost no protection up there whatsoever. So if people figure out, well, if you can, you know, if you can fly to Canada, I mean, especially for the people that aren't coming via foot and train, um, you know, from Central America, specifically in Northern Triangle countries. People forget they're coming from Thailand. They're coming from West Africa. They're coming from China, from Pakistan, all over the world, right? 
the illegal traffic across the border. So that means planes. So at some point, it is interesting to think about, you know, I guess it depends on, you know, who's allowed into Canada, uh, but it would be easier to come across. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you asked me a question. I mean, what's what's a fight that I believe in? Securing America's borders is a fight that I believe in. I mean, I, I made the point on social media a couple of months ago. You know, it's 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 always struck me as strange that you, know, you have these 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 war hawks and neocons and everyone um, you know beating the war drums, you know, supporting literally every possible foreign intervention. Uh, you know, I mean, like it, they'll back any proposed uh, military action uh, if it's done by NATO or the United States you know, or the UN. But you never hear them mention like destroying the Mexican drug cartels or you know utilizing America's armed forces to supplement border patrol on the uh, southern or northern border. And, and like, look, I, I'm I'm not someone who trusts the Pentagon, or the DoD, or our military establishment to to do the right thing at all times. But it's just curious to me they've never they've never even floated that. You never hear Lindsey Graham, um, you know, talking about like you know spinning up America's military to destroy the cartels. Yeah, you know, he may have jumped on that bandwagon after people pointed that out. But I just think that's strange. That's a fight that I believe in. I mean, you want to solve America's recruiting crisis when it comes to, to, to military personnel, you know, like actually have a, you know, a, a dedicated campaign. I mean, like, like Trump kind of dipped his toe in on possibly using the military. I mean, one of the one of our sister brigades with the 101st Airborne was, you know, quote, deployed to Arizona on the southern border. They didn't really do anything. They didn't have the authority to really interdict, um, you know, the illegals coming across the border. But I mean, I would love. I mean, like some some of our best military, uh, you know, leaders. Uh, I believe Douglas MacArthur, when he was a young lieutenant or captain, he was involved in the, uh, you know, the Poncho Villa cross border raids. And I mean, like like using the military to secure our southern border has has long been well within the traditions of American foreign policy. So I mean, that that's a fight that I believe in. Let's come back to that in a second. So I want to ask you a question about how we should handle the cartels. Um, but on a, on a happier and more comfortable note, my pillow is an amazing company because of folks like you who realize these are great products that'll help you get the best night's sleep of your life. And now the pillow started at all, but for a lot of people, myself included, uh, the sheets and the slippers, I got to tell you, those are showstoppers. I love my Giza dream sheets. I've got them at home. Giza dream sheets are at the lowest price ever right now, coming in as low as twenty nine ninety eight with promo code buck, multiple color styles and sizes. Now is the time to upgrade your bedding and enhance your sleep. Remember, MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. By the way, you also have to you know, replace your sheets after a while, too. So you can upgrade right now if you don't have the Giza Dream sheets, everybody. But if your sheets are a few years old, get some new sheets. You'll sleep better. You'll feel better. It's better for you. Uh, go to MyPillow.com. Click on Radio Listener Special Square. Check out the Giza Dream Sheets flash sale, $29.98 with promo code BUCK. That's MyPillow.com. Get those Giza Dream sheets and whatever else you like and make sure you use promo code BUCK. Okay, so you were, uh, you were up there in, in northern Iraq. You saw the situation with ISIS, which was a, it was a little more conventional, actually, military fight than what I had seen, which was a clearly uh, a, a counterinsurgency. Uh, you know, it was much more find the bad guys, kick in the doors, um, and, and arrest them if possible. Often it wasn't possible. Uh, cartels fighting the cartels with the military and obviously the intelligence forces, intelligence community would be a, a big part of this too. Cause it would be kind of like dealing with Al Qaeda, you know, looking for individuals and networks and things like that. Not, you know, brigade versus brigade combat maneuvers. What do you think of that idea? Do we send the military after the cartels in Mexico? 
Well, I think it's a it's an all the above strategy. I mean, you you leverage intelligence, you leverage air power, and obviously you leverage um, you know conventional and, and special ground forces. Um, you know, but I I'm just I'm tired of people who you know you, you mention things like this and they just kind of scoff like it's not possible. I mean, you know, look at what uh, Naib Bukele is doing in El Salvador. I mean, this is a guy who I mean I, I'm as high on this guy as a world leader as I am on anyone. I mean, he, he's he's one of these guys who's just who's showing he's showing the world what's possible with genuine leadership. I mean, El Salvador, you know, had the, the world's highest murder rate not too long ago. And, you know, it, it would have, it's laughable. It would have been laughable to assume that, you know, someone could come in there and neutralize these gangs that had been terrorizing and ruining the country for generations. But he came in and did that and it wasn't easy. And yeah, I mean, he, he was a mixture of, um, you know, hard and soft power, but it is possible. And, you know, we just, you know, I, I use Bukele as an example. You know, I use Governor Ron DeSantis as an example. I mean, just people on the right in America, we don't even know what excellence looks like. We don't even, we, we don't have any conception about what is or is not great. And, you know, we have these beacons. We have people who are showing us, hey, if we just have people, if we have leaders on our side who have the will, who have the force of will to actually do this, who are going to pin their ears back and just get it done. I mean, like, yeah, we'll, you know, like you, you kind of, you know, it's, it's, as coach Belichick would say, it's, it's part of the process. You know, you, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, you, you know, you, you adjust and, and things go wrong. You fix them and things, you know, you, you, you get it done over time, but it starts with just having that iron will that you're not going to let anyone tell you that it can't be done. You have an end state in mind and, you know, you're not going to, you know, and just one more thing about like about you know this 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 idea of leadership. You know, I, I'm sick of you know for, for so many years, people on the right were captive to people like Frank Luntz and you know people who like they think that leaders are supposed to follow public opinion. You know, you know one one of the greatest things about Governor DeSantis is he's very clear that he doesn't govern by following public opinion. He has the Steve Jobs model of leadership in mind. And, you know, Steve Jobs was famous. I think he borrowed this saying from Henry Ford. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially he said, you know, people don't know what they want. You have to show them what they want and then they'll follow you. You know, like, like no one could have envisioned the iPhone. They, they wouldn't have responded to a Frank Luntz poll and said, I want an iPhone. No, Steve Jobs showed them the iPhone. And then, of course, now everyone has an iPhone. Same thing with the vehicle and the same thing with leaders like Naive Bukele and Ron DeSantis. That's what leadership is. It's not following, you know, Frank Luntz's polls. It's actually, you know, like like having the will to solve a problem and and showing the people that it's possible. So that's I mean, I, I want to see more people like that rise in American politics, or else, you know, we're in we're in deep trouble. I think it's fascinating that Bukele and El Salvador used prison labor prisoners, MS thirteen prisoners, to destroy, I'm sure you saw this, the graves of MS-13 gang members because they were being used as gathering sites in these cemeteries. So they just, if, if your gravestone said anything about MS-13, they just turned it to rubble. Not allowed to have public displays of anything having to do with Mara Salvatrucha. He's, he's hardcore about it, man. He treats it like, he says this. I, I've heard him in uh, an interview saying that he views the uh, threat of MS-13 the way that he thinks people in Germany should treat Nazism which is that it is a threat to the live safety uh, of lives and safety of the people and also a threat to the very integrity of the state itself. Um, and for a small country in Central America to take that approach and obviously have some results early on, I think is really interesting. I've got a couple of uh, 
of NFL questions for you when we come back in a second here. So hold on for a minute. Everybody, uh, you, you will see if you're watching this, and if you're not watching, if you're only subscribing on the podcast, which most of you listen on the podcast, but there's also YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash bucksex, and we've got video there. You can see that my friend Jake here has a fantastic beard. I am now clean-shaven, though, after many years of having a beard, and I can tell you that thanks to my friends at One Blade, which I've got right here in my hand, um, shaving is a much more comfortable and much more efficient experience. One blade is the best. You see, big razor companies have been lying to you for a long time. They say you need like five razor blades, eight razor blades all at once. You know, the Quattro, the, uh, you know, the, all these other things they throw at you. No, 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 no. One blade's state-of-the-art award-winning razor design makes single-edge saving completely natural and effortless. So it's going to be a better experience for you. It's also made of metal. It looks cool. It's just a better thing to have in your, in your bathroom, wherever you're doing your shaving. So all orders from One Blade have a 60-day return policy, whether you use your blades or none of your blades. Elevate your shave experience, and you'll get 20% off, by the way, today. Go online to One Blade Shave. That's one, write it out, onebladeshave.com slash buck. Onebladeshave.com slash buck. Get 20% off your order. It's just really high-end product, really sleek, and uh, gives you a super close shave. All right, Mr. Beckett. First of all, you mentioned um, Bill Belichick. I know a million people have asked you, but I haven't. What's he like? Well, he's a genius. He's one of the greatest leaders I've ever been around uh, in the civilian world or the military. Um, I did my last podcast, actually, on uh, the, the Patriots dynasty and, and what we used to call the Patriot way. And, you know, Coach Belichick had a very simple set of rules for the team. Uh, you know, do your job, work hard, be attentive, put the team first. You know, those those were the four rules. You know that you had to abide by when you you know when you when you stepped into the Patriots facility. You know, when you became a New England Patriot, and you know he was he was able to to push us very hard. I mean, there were so many stories of other veterans coming in from different teams, either by trades or free agency or whatever. And after a week or so, you know, they would just sort of quit the team. I mean, like big name guys like you know Reggie Wayne, Robert Gallery. Kellen Winslow, I mean, like, you know, brand name players. Uh, and I'm not denigrating these guys, but, you know, they would come in and after seven, seven or 10 days of Patriots training camp, they would go to Bill and just say, hey, coach, um, you know, this isn't for me. Um, I'm going to retire. And like that's, you know, other, other players who came in could not believe how hard we worked, how hard Bill coached the players, um, you know, but we were all on the same page. You know, we all marched to the beat of the same drum. Um, you know, Tom Brady was a huge, huge reason for that. You know, I, I like to tell the story of my first ever Patriots team meeting. You know, I'm a brand new rookie coming in there in May. It was like our first, uh, first, uh, spring mini camp team meeting. Um, the, the team had just lost the Super Bowl to the Giants the year before that I got there. And, you know, it was just kind of the first team meeting, kind of a nothing meeting. Bill's just kind of laying out his expectations for mini camp. And Tom Brady comes in and he's sitting front row center. You know, he didn't have to do that, but he sat front row center every single day. And in this first ever team meeting, I'm sitting there, Brady's just, he's got his notepad, he's sitting up, and he's just scribbling notes furiously. He, he's trying to soak in every bit of knowledge that Bill was sharing with us. And he had probably heard the same meeting 10 or 15 times, the same spiel, but he was trying to glean that extra bit of knowledge. But I think what he was really doing, he was setting the example for all the new guys. He was, he was setting the tone for everyone else who was sitting right behind him in that team meeting room, you know, in the, in the rows above him. And you could see Tom Brady just, just, just so attentive and taking notes and engaged. 
intellectually and, and mentally engaged. And you know that was that was the kind of leadership we had from the coaching staff, from the marquee players, guys like like Tom and Gronk and Vince Wilfork and Matthew Slater and so many others. Um, you know, it was just an absolute machine. And, and that I, I tell stories like that to really explain what is the Patriot way because it's not just for football. You know, it's for any any leader can learn from the Patriot way. You know, whether you're in politics or in business or in media, whatever it is. Um, you know, if you if you follow those rules and you and you hold people accountable, do your job, be attentive, work hard, put the team first. Uh, you're going to have success. What was your favorite part of being an NFL? What were you a linebacker, by the way? Is that right? I was a defensive end, tight end, uh, special teams player. I was a I was a utility guy. Oh, okay, you know, I kind of did everything. Um, what was your favorite part of playing in the NFL, and what was the part that wasn't so great? I mean, the best part was being around people who were the greatest at what they do. And, you know, I, I, I was, I was very, um, you know, humbled to, to be drafted by them in the third round. And just, to, I didn't take it for granted to be around some of the great, the greatest coach of all time, the greatest quarterback of all time, some of the greatest players in the league. You know, I think Gronk was the best tight end of all time. You know, I was in the same tight end meeting room as him for two He's, years. He seems like a fun guy, by the way. Is he a fun guy? Is that, is that real? Uh, Gronk is exactly who you imagine him to be. I'll, I'll tell you a Gronk story. So Gronk, um, you know, every member of the Patriots, players and coaches and staff, we had these key fobs that gave us 24-7 access to the facility um, you know, at any time. And like during the offseason, especially guys come up there at night or early in the morning to get a workout in, get in the hot tub, cold tub, whatever. And, you know, Gronk, you know, during the offseason, he would, you know, he'd go out in Boston or Providence or wherever, you know, have a great time stay out till two or three in the morning and he would have his buddies drop him off at the Patriots facility at like three 30 in the morning. So he would fob in and go straight to the training room and he would find one of the training tables and just like pass out, just stretch out and go to sleep. And so when the trainers would come in in the morning, they would see Gronk like still in his like, you know, like nightlife clothes, just like sleeping there. They would roll up his sleeve and stick an IV in his arm and just kind of revive him. And he would get up after a couple hours and just go be like the dominant force that he was. It was about that <laughs> wow. time that it was about that time that I realized that, you know, some people are more talented than others, that he had a pretty high ceiling. Like I was, you know, I was uh, getting plenty of sleep, doing everything right. And like, still this guy was the greatest tight end that I had ever seen. Um, you know, but he was, he was a great player, a great teammate, um, you know, despite like having a good time on the weekends, uh, he worked his butt off when he was, you know, when, when it was time to do that. Um, and he was just a joy to be around. I mean, just a, a hell of a great guy. Was there anything, though? I mean, just physical punishment to your body or like what What was the what was the thing? If you had to point to one thing, I mean, you're playing in the NFL, right? I feel like when people get to that level of success in something that's as heralded as that, there's a, maybe a, for a lot of folks, a public perception of like it just must all be amazing. Nothing is all amazing. Right. I mean, we all know that. So what was either the challenge or the thing you wish you could change? You know, something that you're just like, ah, that part of it's maybe it was a surprise. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It wasn't easy. I mean, it was I mean, I, I told you those stories of, of some of the greatest NFL players of all time just straight up quitting because of how tough it was. And yeah, there's a lot of physical punishment that goes into playing at that level. And, uh, you know, Bill's old school. He, he came from the Bill Parcells school of coaching and. I mean, that was like full contact practices as much as possible. Um, you know, all kinds of hit. I mean, we, we probably did more hitting in New England than we did you know, in my college days at the University of Arkansas. 
Um, so, you know, it was a, it was a huge, um, you know, it, it was very, very tough on your body. Um, you know, very tough mentally to, to, to survive, um, and thrive in that, in that tough of an environment. But, you know, it was a great preparation for what I was, uh, you know, going to do in the military and ranger school. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, God had a plan. I, I would have loved to have played for a bit longer in the league, but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't change it. Like going back, I would not change a single thing. Institutionally dating a Patriots cheerleader frowned upon or encouraged for players. So, uh, they're actually, it, it, I think I'm pretty sure it was actually, it was against their rules for I've them to do that. I've heard this from other, in other situations. Keep going. I would say, I think yeah, it's so such a shock to everybody. Yeah. I mean, there, there is, you know, there is kind of a double standard there. Um, it, it's from, from what I remember, it is true that, I mean, there, there were no restrictions on us. I mean, we could date whoever we wanted, but for the Patriots cheerleaders, they would get fired if they, you know, were, were caught with one of the players. I'm pretty sure Gronk's longtime girlfriend is a former Patriots cheerleader. And like, that's, that's what happened um, is, you know, they got outed in their relationship and, and she got canned or maybe, maybe like they went public after she was done or something. But yeah, they're, I'm pretty sure it's against, it's against their, the cheerleader rules. Um, you know, and that's, you know, Hey, that, I think that's, that's kind of ridiculous. You know, the cheerleader code of ethics. I mean, come on. <laughs> It's yeah, crazy. I mean, I I think that's that's kind of absurd. Like, I mean, American like I, there's an old Sports Illustrated cover of when when Miami won one of their national championships. You know, the U. There's this famous you know photo of um, you know one of the players on the field after the game. You know, kissing the cheerleader. I mean, like I mean, people love that. like what's wrong with that? I mean, I I, I really don't see uh, you know any problem. I mean, maybe it's just I mean I don't know. Maybe there's there's some other uh, rationale that I'm not seeing. But I, I thought that was kind of a dumb policy. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm glad that Grant got his girl. There we go. Yeah. I think, I think all the men of America are sitting here saying, and some of the ladies I'm sure too are saying it's, that's absurd. But anyway, not, not an important topic, but I was curious anyway. Um, Jake, you're doing great work. Where should people go to listen to your podcast? Yeah, we're on all platforms, Apple podcasts, Spotify, uh, YouTube, the Jake Beckett show podcast, like subscribe, leave a good review. Um, you know, it's been great. We're, uh, we're seven or eight episodes in right now. Um, and it's been a great project thus far. So give us a, um, you know, give us a listen there and, uh, you can find me on social media on Twitter at Jake Beckett 91. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's where you can find me. Jake, thank you for your service and thank you for your time, man. I appreciate you being with us. Thanks for having me, Buck. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to improving the lives of America's veterans, first responders, and their families. For over 20 years, the foundation has helped America keep its solemn promise to never forget. Tunnel to Towers provides mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders with young children and builds specially adapted smart homes for catastrophically injured veterans, as well as work to eradicate veteran homelessness. David Marshall served in the Army during World War II and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He's never forgotten the sacrifices of his comrades-in-arms, nor the efforts of first responders on 9-11 and in the days and months that followed. He is a loyal and proud Foundation donor. Tunnel to Towers is committed to supporting veterans, first responders, and their families, and so many of them need your help. Join the Foundation on its mission to do good and never forget. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. 